0: Welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment crossover with all things pop culture, meaning topics of TV, movies, music, sports, video games. All of it is fair discussion on this podcast. Ton of news on some TV stuff that's going on. A lot of discussion on that. Some music happenings going on. Some NBA talk. Lots going on on this podcast. So let's get right into it. Let's get into some TV stuff, because there is a lot of TV news coming out this week. If you are a fan of Supernatural, the full series box set is coming out on May the 25th. This will be the Blu-ray, DVD, complete series, 68-page booklet will be coming with the full series set, 59 discs is how many discs is going to be in this thing, is going to retail for $359.99. If you just need the final season, season 15, it is also going to be released that same day. So definitely something to look forward to for Supernatural fans. Superman and Lois is getting closer on its two-hour premiere, which will be on Tuesday, February 23rd. That will be the latest thing to premiere from the Arrowverse. If you miss the premiere on Tuesday, February 23rd, it is going to stream... The Next Day Free, only on The CW. I'm seeing already some reviews that are getting out there. I haven't read them because I don't want to know, but I've just been kind of seeing the headlines, and it seems like the reviews are very positive so far on this, so I'm looking forward to checking that out. Something from Zachary Levi this week on Twitter. Will we still see a Chuck movie? That is one thing that was asked to him by a fan, and he gets this question all the time, of course. And his response on Twitter was, that's still my goal. No idea if or when exactly, though. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Zachary Levi. The Chuck movie, I just, I feel like that reunion movie is going to eventually happen. It's just something that they all want to do so much and that cast is still extremely close they were very close when they were shooting the show they're still extremely close and I remember back when Veronica Mars was launching with its uh, Kickstarter a few years ago when they were doing the Kickstarter to do the movie Zachary Levi said he was really intently watching the success of that thing and seeing how they did it, um, just how it was received and everything, and just the whole details of it, because he was seeing what was going on and wanting to take that and learn from it to where they could do something really cool if they wanted to go that route with doing a Chuck movie. And... He wanted to, and he always said that when they would interview him about that, about, well, why don't you just do a Kickstarter campaign and do a Chuck movie? And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea, but we want to make sure we do it right. With the things that we'd put out there for fans to get as far as rewards, you know, where if you put in this much money, you get this benefit, you get that benefit, this and that, you know. He wanted to make sure that we give some really cool things for fans, you know, to where we want to give them every bit of their money's worth and more for believing in us and donating to this. So, I mean, he's he's watched these kind of things all along, and I just, I feel like it's going to happen. It just has to happen. I mean, we had earlier, well, I was going to say earlier this year is 2021, Let's go back to 2020, you know, when the pandemic first started. The Chuck reunions, reunion was one of the first virtual things that happened to where they were, you know, trying to do something fun, you know, and they got all the cast back together and they did a table read for one of the episodes that was really fun and they got them all back together and I laughed all through it. It was so much fun Even had a Jeffster performance. It was really fun. And they just had a blast. And there's just, I just feel like there's just no doubt that this Chuck movie is going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of when they can do it, getting everybody's schedules to work out, coming up with a script that is worthy and great, you know, because they're going to want to make it as great as it possibly can. To me, I would love to reboot the whole series, but, you know, that's just me, and I'm sure many other people would feel that way, too. If you've never seen Chuck, watch that show. It's one of the greatest TV shows of all time. It has a mix of everything in it. Just go out of your way to watch it. I promise you will love that show. It's so fun. Another show that is set to premiere is Young Rock, which is going to be premiering on Tuesday, February 16th at 7 p.m. Central Time on NBC. This is the series that's going to be on NBC with Dwayne The Rock Johnson producing it. It's a TV show based on his life as a youngster. You know, that's, that's the basic premise of the story. He was on Jimmy Fallon last night on The Tonight Show promoting the show. And the basic premise is you're going to have three different versions for backstory. There's going to be backstory that takes place in 1982, 1987, 1990. You're going to have a different actor for every one of those time frames to where you're going to have young Rock as a little kid, you know, hanging out with his dad, Rocky Johnson, and the WWF and in the locker room and stuff like that. Then you're going to have the 1987 Dwayne The Rock Johnson, where he's going to be, you know, a teenager. Then you're going to have 1990, where he's up to his football time, you know, with Miami. So that's the basic premise of that. And then The Rock said that one thing that was said to him is, okay, we're doing this show, but fans are going to want to see you too. So how can we get you involved in it? And he said that the idea was brought up of, well, why don't we have like a present day time frame to where he's looking back so the basic premise is going to be the present day is going to actually be 2032 that is what is going to be considered present day on this show and he's going to be running for president so as he's running for president he is going back and telling stories of his childhood being a teenager and beyond you know so that's how we're going to be in the current time frame, but then we're going to backtrack as well. It reminds me a lot of the movie that he produced a few years ago that was based on WWE Superstar Paige, where it's based on her and her family to where it told her story, you know, growing up and getting into the wrestling business and everything. And it was called Fighting for My Family. Just a great movie. So good. I saw it in the theaters and just loved it. So it kind of has a different, kind of similar feel to that, you know, to where you kind of see, like, the style of that that they're going to go with. So, yeah, that was a fun, fun appearance last night on The Tonight Show where he promoted that. And, you know, the star of the appearance was his mom uh, coming in and playing the ukulele. And because Jimmy Fallon had seen a video to where she could sing and play the ukulele. And... You know, Rock called her in. It's like, hey, you got that ukulele around? Come, come here. Bring the ukulele. And it's like, I guess somebody wants to wants to see you. And you know, she pops around at the monitor. She's like, oh, Jimmy Fallon, you know, and and so that was a fun segment where she played the ukulele for him, and they, her and Rock sang, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, Young Rock premieres on. Tuesday, February 16th, 7 p.m. Central Time on NBC. I'll definitely be checking the show out and talking about it on an upcoming podcast. NBC has also announced that this upcoming season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is going to be its last season, and that will be season eight, so it is going to be wrapping up. The ten final episodes, however, are not going to air on this current TV season. They're going to hold the 10 final episodes until the next season of 2021-22. So you've got the last season coming, and you're going to have to wait a little bit just for these episodes to premiere. If you're a fan of Boy Meets World, there was a very cool reunion this week through a Panera Bread commercial. It was a Valentine's-themed commercial that reunited Ben Savage and Danielle Fishel. Of course, they played Corey and Topanga. You know, they were the focus, the main relationship on Boy Meets World. And it was, the commercial was done like it was a movie trailer, and it was called Forever Flatbreads, you know, where they meet at this bread place and and hit it off, you know. And I actually tweeted about the commercial and posted it, and Panera Bread was right on top of it. And they responded to me saying, The only thing that ever made sense to me was flatbread pizza and how I felt about cheese. (laughs) So that's what they responded with. I laughed. I was like, they are all in. It's like they, they even took the time to respond to my tweet of me pushing this commercial with Boy Meets World. So it was a fun little moment for Boy Meets World fans, including myself, seeing them two back together. It was a fun little... I'd say cheesy commercial, because it was a cheesy commercial, cheese, flatbread, yeah, okay, moving on, Big Brother Canada 9, they're starting to put some teasers out there of this uh, being very close to launching, no word yet on a premiere date, but they usually launch late winter, so I assume we're probably going to have a premiere date very, very soon, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what they're going to do here with Arissa Cox. She's taken on a bigger role here, and they have promised that this show is going to have 50-50 diversity. That's awesome. So I'm very excited to see how that's going to play out with a 50-50 diverse cast. That's very cool that they're doing that. And, of course, you got to remember Big Brother Canada 8 lasted three weeks last season is that, you know, it started right as the pandemic was getting going and, you know, we just had just the heart-wrenching episode to where, you know, they're all in the house together and the game had been going on for, you know, three weeks or whatever it was and that they all get told, hey, we've got to end the show. This is what's going on. You know, they're cluing them in all on the pandemic and you're seeing just the very real reactions of them from inside the house to where I'm trying to think if they, the, I don't think the pandemic had really gotten rolling. I don't know. I don't remember if it had started. I mean, it had started, but I don't know if it was as like well known as this is a major problem when they went in the house and were quarantined, you know, to to go into the house. And I say quarantined as far as, you know, they always quarantine the house guests for a little bit before they put them in, you know, just on a normal basis, not just because of health problems. We got the very real reactions of them, you know, reacting to the news that they were getting. Not only was the show ending, but the fear of what were they walking back out of this house into and that was very just indescribable to really watch to watch their emotions and tears and you know there were so many of them you know house guests in there that this was their dream you know to be on Big Brother Canada and it was ending cuz uh you know they had to shut it down shut production down because of uh because of all the health restrictions that had been put out so it's going to be fun to see Big Brother Canada 9, you know, it's, especially with how it ended last year. Hopefully, hopefully good things are coming with this new season of Big Brother Canada 9. Disney Plus has announced that they now have 94.9 million customers worldwide as of January 2nd, 2021. That is up 8 million in one month. That's incredible. Those are incredible numbers that Disney Plus is doing. Their goal originally was to have 90 million subscribers in four years. They've went way over that number even before half that time, which is incredible. So, I mean, you have to... I know you have to credit Mandalorian for a lot of that. WandaVision, too. I know WandaVision's got a lot of fans watching that I haven't seen it I know a lot of people love it though I love Mandalorian and the thing is I mean it's there's so much potential for it to grow even bigger than this because they have so much original content still set to be released so that's something very exciting to check out the Peanuts gang is now all back together in brand new episodes on the Snoopy show that is now airing on Apple TV+. Plus, Brand new. Very, very cool. I've checked this out. I enjoyed it. I've watched the first two episodes. It's a lot of fun. The basic deal with this is that they are trying to make this as much like the original as possible. The the writers for this show, they had several rules that they had to go by on this to... If they were going to make this show, these are the rules that they had to follow. No adults can be heard, and they have to continue with the trombones. You know what I'm talking about. That's how the adults have to sound. That is one of the rules they had to go by. The next rule they had to go by was no technology past the 1970s. You can't have any technology past the 1970s being used in this show. And then the next rule was that you can never show the inside of Snoopy's doghouse, which has never been seen. So when this was cleared to to go, these were the rules that they had to go by. And they wanted this to feel like a very classic Peanuts series. So they were able to... You know, there's, they were able to go buy like 18,000 comic strips that were mined from the Charles Schultz library, you know, that he had left behind that they could try to build some ideas off of so they could do that. And the way that they're doing it, every episode is 23 minutes. They do three seven-minute vignettes in each episode, so you basically have each episode cut down into three segments and, like, three little stories in each episode. So the first episode, two of the stories that were in it, one of them was them telling the story of how Charlie Brown adopted Snoopy, like the story of how the two of them got together. And, of course, the... The main the way the story starts is that Snoopy has written his autobiography and he's signing them to all the gang and you know how and Snoopy's like exaggerating like this big blockbuster story of everything in his life and exaggerating everything and Charlie Brown's like that's not how that happened at all, so they do one vignette that is on the story of how Charlie Brown adopted Snoopy, which was really a sweet story, it was fun. And the same goes for the second one that they did, which was the story of how Snoopy met Woodstock. And it's a very sweet, fun story as well. So that's something that's in the very first episode. One thing to look forward to, and I haven't seen this yet, I've only seen the first two, the third episode is a brand new Halloween episode. So, you know, you have the Great Pumpkin episode that is just so huge, popular, you know, for so many decades. This is a something fun to where you're getting a brand new Halloween-themed Peanuts Snoopy episode, you know, so that's very, very cool. The series is rated G. It's very clean. It's a very clean show. The first two episodes are super clean. Watch them with your kids. It, they really try to make it as close to the original Peanuts, Snoopy, shows, series, specials, you know, whatever. They try to make them that. So the Snoopy show is now airing on Apple TV+. I forget how many episodes there are up there. Uh, I don't know if it's eight episodes, ten episodes. I don't remember how many there are, but there's several. Maybe seven. I don't remember how many it is, but there's several up there. Kelly Ripa recently celebrated her 20th anniversary On live with Kelly and Ryan. Of course, when she started, it was live with Regis and Kelly. Her first episode, to where she was officially announced as the replacement for Kathy Lee Gifford at the time, was February fifth, two thousand and one. That was when you know it was official. From there, and then it was Regis and Kelly. She actually tried out on November first, two thousand. That was the date of her trial episode. Of course. You know, a few months before Kathy Lee Gifford had announced that she was leaving the show and she was just time to do something else, you know. And so the search was underway on who Kathy Lee's replacement was going to be. So they would try different uh, guest co-hosts in that spot to see who had chemistry with Regis, you know, and they just ran all sorts of different people through there. Uh November first, two thousand was the date of Kelly Rippus tryout episode. And she was dynamic from the very first episode. I remember watching that day. I was a very loyal follower of that show, watched it every day. I've talked in previous podcasts that you know Regis was my morning tradition, waking up and turning that show on and watching. And laughing and just having such a great start to my morning. And Kelly Ripa, the first episode, she just had it. You know, it just just felt right. When she was on that first episode, the chemistry was there. She, it just felt like it was her job. And of course, there's the famous story from that episode to where they had a psychic on that tryout episode of hers. And it was Char Shar, Shar, Margolis. I can't remember how you pronounce her first name, but she was on there. And at one point she says, she's uh, trying to read Kelly and she reads her saying, you're pregnant with your second child. And Kelly's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And Kelly kind of laughs and she makes the comment of, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I haven't told my boss yet. And so that's how they found out her bosses. Of course, her bosses was uh, All My Children because she was on All My Children and she balanced the two. All My Children and Live with Regis and Kelly, she balanced that for a while and that was the main standout thing from that trial episode that everybody remembers is that sto- that psychic nailing her on that she was pregnant with her second child. and Kelly hadn't spoke this yet. So that was a wild moment. But there were several, for me, as far as like the different ones that they were running through there, uh, Jane, Jane Kirkowski, Valerie Burtonelli, Bernadette Peters, that seemed like that was the front runners with with Kelly on who was going to be on there. Regis loved all of them. They had great chemistry with him. I would have been happy with any of them. They were all great on there and I just always enjoyed them. Kelly just had it. You know, it was just the chemistry with her and Regis was was there from the very first time and a very happy 20 year anniversary to Kelly Ripa still enjoy the show watching it every morning here lately and still a joy. yeah I still remember remember how it all started you know it's it's crazy to think back on and it's hard to believe it's been 20 years too but yeah that Regis and Kelly era loved it so much, so so much. One thing that is getting a lot of buzz and attention this week is the Britney Spears documentary called Framing Britney Spears that is airing. I watched it on FX. Um, I recorded it on FX and watched it on there. It's also up on Hulu to where you can watch that. So I understand I haven't looked. I understand that it's up on Hulu from what I've been told. So I watched it on FX. It's a very eye-opening documentary it's very it's very sad and tragic at the same time of watching this superstar grow and bloom and to where it's kind of that famous story that you always hear to where you build a superstar up and then you tear them down you know it's this documentary has so much of that feel and You know, it's, and I lived it, you know, watching it as this went along in real time. You know, I've talked about in the past that I grew up watching the MMC where she was on that show along with Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling. You know, I watched, I watched MMC, you know, from pretty much the very beginning And that group came along in season six and seven and just so much talent in that group. And they focus on that for a little bit in the documentary. They don't go on it too long, but they talk about just the sadness when the show was canceled because it really got canceled out of nowhere, really. Because to me, when I was watching this as a fan at the time, It really felt like that was the next generation to where we had the group that we've been watching this whole time, and then they brought in this younger group, and that this younger group, this was going to be our next generation. This was going to be the group that was going to carry the show into the next era. That's what it felt like they were building to. And I really think it was what they were building, to, And then it just canceled out of nowhere. They decided to end the show. And, of course, you know, there's the famous picture of Brittany and Christina both in tears, you know, after they had learned the news. And, you know, they talked about, from there, trying to figure out what Brittany was going to do from there. And that she took some time off just to be a regular teenager, played basketball in high school. But then she eventually ended up New York City and that launched the music career and you know she it was right place right time because that era there when that thing went boom it was a monster that pop music era of the TRL era to where you had NSYNC you had Backstreet Boys Brittany was the one she was the female She was the first female in that era that launched and just took it to a whole different level, you know, and then she led the way and then Christina wasn't far behind her. So for me, you know, I watched it from the beginning because with all the MMC people, there was all websites at the time to where we could keep up with, it was MMC Online was the name of the website at the time. I'm not even sure if they're still around or not they they would always keep you up to date on every Mouseketeer, what they were doing. So here comes the news of, hey, Brittany's got a single. So this is what she's doing. And, you know, Baby One More Time came out, and it was a monster hit. And, you know, off to the races she was. And I just, I don't think anybody... If you didn't grow up in that era, I don't know if you really grasp how big that TRL music era was. It was just a monster. Like Times Square, the amount of times that they would shut down Times Square when they would have a big name in there and the streets would just be flooded just to get a view of their favorite people up in the window waiting for them to come to the window and wave. You know, and then of course they'd have uh, have people down on the street interviewing people, and they'd say, "Hey, we've got them upstairs. You want to ask them a question?" Or, you know, of course TRL was a big countdown show where you requested videos, and and it was just it was an absolute monster. And what was amazing to watch with uh, when these albums would come out is we would watch the amount of albums sold, like NSYNC's album would come out and it was a monster hit and then you'd be like, okay, well, let's see, here comes the Backstreet album. What's it going to sell? Here's Britney's album. What is it going to sell? You know, and we would watch that a lot and it was just record after record after record where these albums would come out and it would just be monster totals and, you know, I would watch every day. I'd watch every afternoon And was glued to TRL, just seeing what was going on, voting for my favorites. And they talk about it in this documentary, but Brittany just just excelled so quickly. You know, they talk about how, you know, where she first started, she was in malls and, you know, people would just kind of stop and look and be like, okay. You know, and then it got to the point where people were coming to the malls to just see her. And it was just crazy the amount of attention that she got. But it just seemed from the very start that people were constantly criticizing her. And I remember this as clear as day and they show this in uh I don't it wasn't particularly this interview. I didn't remember this particular interview that they showed. But by the time we got to 99, right at the beginning was when the album launched. It was when her second single, Sometimes, came out. This was right around the time to where these implant rumors got started. And instead of her being asked about her music and everything, this is what the attention was on. This silliness. This is what she would get asked about. And it was just garbage, you know, just how much she would get asked this. And it really was just a starting point Of like what she was going to have to deal with. And of course. You know we get. We get through this documentary. And we see. You know just the tours. And just how big she got. But you're also seeing the focus of the paparazzi. And the media. Just on her every single move. And. Some of the paparazzi footage. That is in this. To where we get later down the line. You know it's. It's incredible, and I mean that in not a good way, to where I just watched that, and I just thought that would be absolutely miserable to have to deal with that at all times. That would be absolutely miserable to have paparazzi and media just in your face every time you even walk out a door. There's just cameras just flashing right in your face. And really what you get from this documentary, is just feel like that it just finally pushed her over the edge to where she just couldn't take it anymore. And that she just really just broke down from it, you know? And you just, you see all through this documentary, just, uh you know, where it all led to and just the downward spiral that she had. And it just feels like so much of the blame just goes to where it's just the pressure that was on her and the criticism that was on her. And she just had no privacy at all, you know, and I don't know. It's, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't, I just, I want people to watch it and see it for themselves and, you know, draw their own conclusions and everything. But man, there was, there was a lot of times in this documentary that it was hard to watch you just felt bad for her with the stuff that she was dealing with. You know, and they... At one point, there's an interview that they play. I think it was in 2006, I think is what it was. I think it was Matt Lauer that asked that asked her um, something along the lines of, do you just wish that the paparazzi would just leave you alone? And she just paused. And then she broke down in tears and just nodded her head saying, yeah, Yes, you know, it's, it's a hard watch and I mean it, and then it goes all the way up to, you know, everything that's going on now with a lot of the, a lot of the legal stuff that's going on around her. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting documentary that I'd recommend checking out. Um, as somebody that, you know, went, watched all this in real time, it was interesting to watch this and see it from a from another perspective, kind of, sort of, and then also look back at the same time. So yeah, it's called Framing Britney Spears. I watched it on FX. It's supposed to be up on Hulu to where you can watch it. It's about a hour and a half watch. Probably. I think the, when I had it recorded, it was showing it like an hour 50 or something like that, or an hour 40. And there was some commercials in there. So probably looking at about an hour and a half documentary. So yeah, give it a watch. It's uh. It's a fascinating thing to, to watch. It's a pretty fascinating documentary that, I don't know, it, it's hard. It's hard to watch at times. It really is with uh, a lot of the stuff that she dealt with. Some music stuff going on this week. We got some news that has been released Carrie Underwood has released her song list that will be for her new album, My Savior, which is going to be released on March the 26th. This is going to be a collection of old hymns that she is doing for this album. Uh, The album list is going to be Jesus Loves Me. It's going to be instrumental, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, Blessed Assurance, Just As I Am, Victory in Jesus. Great is thy faithfulness, featuring Cece Winans. Oh, how I love Jesus, how great thou art, because he lives. The old rugged cross, I surrender all, softly and tenderly, and amazing grace. 13 songs that is going to be released on March the 26th. You can do a pre order over there on her official website that you can check out. On the site, it has $11.99 for the CD. That will be on March 26th. You can get an album and t-shirt box set. That is going to be $49. It's going to be released on March the 26th. If you want vinyl, it's going to be $29.99. And it's going to be released on April 30th. So if you want the vinyl, it's going to be a little bit of a delay for you on getting that, about a month. Taylor Swift has also announced that her version of Fearless, we've been talking about that she is re-recording all of her old albums from her old label with all the drama that's been going on there. She has decided that she's just going to re-record and basically re-record and make her own masters to where she owns her own music. You know, it's there's been a lot going on there with her battling over these masters, so The first one that we've got coming is going to be Fearless and the pre-order info is out. The digital edition is going to be $13. Of course, this is all on our website. You can go pre-order on our website. Digital edition, $13 released on April the 9th. That is also the CD, which is going to be $13 as well. Vinyl edition. If you want the vinyl edition, $39. $39. That is going to be released later on on August the 27th. Of course, the vinyl thing is something that is really coming back. Here's something that is just now starting to come back. There's going to be a cassette edition of this. This is something that's hasn't picked up steam a whole lot. The vinyl is very popular. I'm seeing a lot of albums that are being released in vinyl now. Cassette is something that is just starting to kind of take off again. So they're doing a cassette version that you can buy for $19. That is going to be limited to four per person and is going to be shipped on or around June the 4th. And then she's got some other cool merchandise on there that you can order that goes with this album, including hoodies, shirts, pullovers, a lithograph, phone case, keychain, and more. You can check that out over on Taylor Swift's website. Lindsay L. is going to be doing a virtual concert. going to be a live stream on February the 12th. This is something she's been promoting very heavy on her social media. Very cool things she's doing. I'm going to read this off her website, what she has going on. Just in time for Valentine's Day, accomplished triple threat musician, vocalist, and songwriter Lindsay L. will be performing songs from her critically acclaimed sophomore album Heart Theory for the first time ever in a live, redesigned concert experience on Friday, February the 12th, 2021. The show will be a charity event with all net proceeds donated to Crew Nation and other beneficiary organizations soon to be announced. Lindsay's band and on-site crew will be paid, but all companies involved will be donating their time and equipment, while artists, creatives, and management will be donating their time and service. Lindsay L. will deliver the performance via a live, elevated streaming experience architected by Fireplay, uh, the show will not only allow Elle to bring Heart Theory to life for the first time since the album's release, but it will also put a large number of live entertainment crew members back to work. Special guests performing with L are soon to be announced. Tickets, which will be based on a pay-what-you-can model, are on sale now and available. The stream will remain live for 48 hours after the premiere event. So very cool to see this going on. Lindsay's putting a lot of work in this. If you follow her on social media, you will see that she is putting a lot of work into making this thing awesome. So you can go to lindsayell.com for more information on this. If you're not familiar with Lindsay L, it is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-E-L-L.com. You can check out the information there. Very cool thing that she is doing there. Let's get into some NBA talk here. Last week's Steam Room podcast with Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley had Irvin Magic Johnson as a guest on. Uh, My favorite players of all time, number one, Michael Jordan, number two, Magic Johnson, number three, Charles Barkley. So having my number two, my number three players on the same podcast laughing, telling stories, just great. This was a lot of fun. Uh, They talked a lot of old Dream Team stuff, a lot of old uh, Dream Team stories, some Lakers-Celtics rivalry stuff, 92 All-Star game. There was a lot of good stuff in here. The Dream Team stuff was really good, where they just talked about just how great the experience was and the fun that they had. And, you know, they they talked about how Charles was just the man of the people. And anytime you watch, like, the Dream Team documentaries that have been made... Charles was everywhere. Charles was out and about. He was partying. He was having fun. He wanted to be out among the people. And the funny thing is, they actually, security-wise, they were very big on wanting the Dream Team to stay in their hotel and, you know, keep them safe. Because it it was a mob over there with just how popular they were. I mean, it was like the Beatles roaming around you know, to where they just got swarmed everywhere they went. They were rock stars of this, of this, uh, 92 Barcelona Olympics. So they tell the story. I don't know if they told it on this podcast, but I've heard this story. Yeah, they did tell it on this podcast, but I've heard it in every documentary. Uh, Michael, Magic, and Bird, they would stay up playing cards all night. Charles would go out and Magic would always tell the story that, They'd be sitting around, all of a sudden they just hear this roar of cheers coming from the lobby, and Magic would say, well, there's Charles, Charles is back, or Charles is roaming around down there, because they knew how popular he was. Uh, Charles, one thing he talked about that was interesting, and I've heard him talk about this before, um, he talked about his experience on the Dream Team in 1996 in Atlanta, He actually called it Dream Team 2, which it wasn't Dream Team 2. Dream Team 2 was the 94 team that played in the World Championships that year. This was actually Dream Team 3 that was named in Atlanta. So he had that mixed up a little bit, but he was talking about the 96 Atlanta team. And he just talked about how his experience on that team just was not fun. It was not good. It was just completely the opposite of his Barcelona experience. And he said the main difference was that there was so much drama on the 96 team because you had players that constantly were worried about their minutes, worried about who was starting, worried about their stats, and that it was just so different. He said everybody was just so me, me, me on that team as opposed to 92, which he said that was what was so odd about the difference between the teams because the 96 team was so much younger. The 92 team was, you know, the greatest players of all time, you know, and in their peak. And, you know, Charles talked about on that that they didn't care a thing about playing time and who was starting. Uh, Chuck Daly, head coach of the Dream Team, He had two starting lineups. He had like an A team and he had a B team and he rotated them. When this game was up, this was the team that started. When this game was up, then this was the starting five and nobody cared. You know, it was just like, okay, well, let's do it. And he said that was what was so different about his two dream team experiences was that, you know, the dream team one team, they just could not care less about playing time. They were all unselfish. They just wanted to have fun, be there and have fun and just get the job done. And their Dream Team Atlanta experience was complete opposite of that. Charles said that he originally had no intent on playing. And then he got a call from you know the head coach and said, you know, I need some veterans. Would you please be interested in playing? And Charles got talked into it. But He just said his Atlanta experience was just really miserable. But they had a great time. Dream Team won. They told stories about different things, including the... just Well, and then talking about how much fun they had, they talked about the Larry Bird-Patrick Ewing best friend bond that happened there in Barcelona, where Larry Bird and Patrick Ewing just formed this friendship of just this huge bond, and they were inseparable in Barcelona, and they got the nickname of Harry and Larry. That's what they would always call them, and they made them t-shirts and everything. And yeah, it was, it was just a lot of fun listening to them tell stories because that team was something special. And I will never forget watching them, you know, that summer glued every time they played. They went into a lot of Lakers-Celtics uh, rivalry stuff where they talked about, Well, they talked about the famous commercial, uh, the Converse commercial, which took place during the 80s after one of their NBA Finals meetings. And it was one that the Lakers had won. And the decision had been made let's put Magic and Bird in the same commercial together. And, you know, Magic had just won, and they were going to decide, you know, to send one to the other and put them in the same location. And Magic said, so, well, he's like, well, I won the championship. Have him come out here. I won, and Bird wouldn't budge on it. He's like, no, he's coming out here. So they told Magic, all right, we're going to send you to French Lick, Indiana, and this is where we're going to do it. And Magic, Why? Magic said, well, we're going to go out there. And also, where in the world is French Lick, Indiana? <laughs> and so he, uh, so he ends up in French Lick, Indiana, and he talked about just... You know, it's a small town experience and just how adored he was in that town. And it was just Larry's town. And, you know, they go to Larry's place and everything. And Larry's pointing out different things They're like, yeah, I built that. I built this. Yeah, I built that. And he's talking like, you know, hands on, like he physically built these things you know, on his place. And Magic was laughing about it, saying, you know, Charles, me and you. We wouldn't have done that. We'd have hired somebody to build that. If we need something built, we would have hired somebody to do it. Larry did this on his own. He's like, No, I built this. You know, that's just what Larry Bird was like. That was his personality. So, you know, they um they didn't really talk about it on this particular podcast like the aftermath of that after yeah, the aftermath of that, if I can spit that word out. Um, on the Bird Magic documentary that you can see that um airs on nba tv i think it started on hbo i think that's where it first premiered they talked about the aftermath of that commercial to where they really struck a friendship that day when they were like rivalries you know turned into friendship where they got to actually just hang out for the first time and that uh, magic just really liked him and the first time that they met back on the court you know magic's like okay well we're friends now this is good and the first time they like they got together bird just laid into him with a shot and magic's like what in the world was that about and bird he's like i thought we were friends birds like we're not friends on this court <laughs> you know and yeah i've always heard that story they didn't talk about it on the podcast but that was something that i always heard on that but one story that they tell on this document or this documentary on this podcast i got two things i'm talking about here One thing they talk about on this podcast, they tell the story of, I believe it was Michael, Magic, Charles, Patrick, and Alonzo Mourning, I think were the the final two. They all went to the Mike Tyson-Michael Spinks boxing match. They got ringside seats and went to this thing live. Now, if you know anything about boxing... Even if you don't know anything about boxing, you've probably heard about this fight, because it's very famous that Tyson knocked him out in like 18 seconds. I had a friend that ordered this fight and paid like 40 or 50 bucks for the fight, and I still remember him telling the story where the second Sphinx hit the mat, my friend was like, you better get up. (laughs) I spent 40 or 50 bucks on this fight. You better get up. And then it was over. He said he never bought another boxing match after that. <laughs> but That's one story. But they were there live. Before the fight starts, Charles gets up to go get food and drinks for the group. And he's, you know, he's asking around, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Okay, I'm going to go get it. So he goes and gets the food and, and the drinks. And while he's gone, the bell rings and then the fight's over. Here comes, they said about a minute later, Charles comes walking in. He's got his arms full with all the food and drinks. And he's like, what happened? What happened? And they had to fill him in on the whole fight. And he was just furious that he had missed the whole fight. And he throws all the drinks and food up in the air. And he's just furious that he had missed it. Magic laughs about it, just saying that this was the... This was the maddest that he had ever seen Charles in his, in his life, even to this day. So it was a really funny story. That is well worth going out of your way just to hear them tell that story on that podcast. And I love Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, just them being on that podcast. That was a really fun thing to listen to last week. So some more NBA news this week as we had the news that Derrick Rose has been traded to the New York Knicks, reuniting him with his former Chicago Bulls head coach, Tom Thibodeau. Big deal. It's, it's interesting how these two continue to come back to one another. You know, there's just so much loyalty between that coach and that player that goes all the way back to Chicago to where they just keep reuniting. You know, the bond between them, it was strong in Chicago. And it was disappointing seeing that end in Chicago. And, you know, now they're together in New York. Very cool. I, I just think that's going to be awesome. They interviewed Jimmy Butler about it uh, one of his post-game press conferences uh, a few days ago. And he he just laughed about it and said, "Getting the band back together." He's like, "Okay, getting the band back together." He said, "All we need is just a couple more. Or we'd have this thing rolling, you know." So yeah, that's a fun thing. And yeah, I just want to see Derrick Rose succeed so badly. You know, I just I still want him back in that Bulls uniform. It would just it would just be so great to have him uh, finish out his career in Chicago. I'd love that. He's played well, he's been playing well, and that's going to lead me into, because he's in this still, second fan returns for the NBA All-Star voting. I went over this last week. Not a lot of changes. There's a few players that have maneuvered around, kind of up and down the voting, mostly on the bottom end of the voting uh, not much changes. We're gonna just run through this real quick. Western Conference front court uh, leading the way is LeBron James, followed by Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Zion, Andrew Wiggins, Christian Wood, Brandon Ingram, and Carmelo Anthony. And that is exactly the way it was last week. Western Conference guards. Leading away, Steph Curry. Then you've got Luka, Lillard. Donovan Mitchell jumps up to four, moving past Ja Morant, who slides down to fifth. Then we move to Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, who moves up to eighth spot. He was in 10th last week. C.J. McCollum moves down one spot to nine. Uh, Alexander is out this week, and Alex Caruso from the Lakers is sitting in there in the 10th spot. And that is a big... Vote from Laker Nation there that has gotten him there in 10th spot. So, so we got some moves there. Uh, we've got Donovan Mitchell up over Ja Morant, like I said. So, in the Eastern Conference, we've got Kevin Durant leading the way for the front court, followed by Giannis and Embiid, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Adebayo, Sabonis, Randall, Gordon Hayward, Jeremy Grant. Those are all the same, same as last week. With the guards for the Eastern Conference, we have Bradley Beal leading the way, followed by Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Trey Young, Colin Sexton, Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, and Fred Van Fleet, who sits in the 10th spot. Last week's 10th spot was Ben Simmons. So we have had that switch. Everything else is exactly the same. I don't notice a lot of vote switch going on. It's mostly... The numbers are pretty even. You know, there's not really a big switch in a lot of the voting that I've really seen. So, that so far is how the NBA All-Star voting is going with the second fan returns. And next week, we will have starters named. So, It looks pretty solid on who the starters are going to be. There's going to have to be a really major uh, vote thing happen here to get switched up, so we'll just have to see how that goes. That is it for this week. Hope you all have a great week. Take care. God bless. Thank you, as always, so much for listening.